everyone and welcome to the Lisa Burke Show where I have a packed studio as always Sasha is back with me. We're going to have a roundup of the news, a little bit more besides that because we're in the run up now to Luxembourg elections and because of this I also have two very esteemed guests with me to defite. We have Sven Clement from the Pirate Party and Julian Bernard from the Green Party. So welcome to you all. Welcome to uh, Today Radio. Thank you for having us. It's really, really a pleasure. Now, as we spoke about uh, just off air before we began, we're going to start with a a roundup of the news and a sort of an idiot's guide to the election and how to vote and things like this. So please, given what you do, join in. So, Sasha, we're going to start with this. We're going to start with a little bit about Luxembourg and politics. Small bit. Yes, I feel very self-conscious here, but uh, between (laughs) two politicians, I'm uh, explaining uh, Luxembourg elections. So, yes, please. But um, what what we kind of put together was was an idea for, particularly for expats, you know, for who many of whom will not be voting obviously in this in this election uh, only um foreigners who have been nationalized um so people like me it'll be my first election so i'm quite excited mm. um but uh, so yeah there's quite a few of us around especially brits obviously <laughs> congrats about that <laughs> well about the being a luxemburger um but you know it affects everyone obviously um and i think there i get the feeling that people are um, I'm talking about expats, are more interested in this year's elections maybe than, than ever before because, you know, uh, the referendum, uh, whatever, I think it was about 10 years ago that um, that uh, foreigners couldn't vote. It was 2015. It was 2015, yeah. OK. Mm, and 80% of the people who voted said, no, no, they can't vote. <laughs> well, you're sitting in a room with people that advocated uh, on the opposite side of the argument, but uh, yeah, a lot yeah. of we politicians lost. did, in fact. Yeah, absolutely. I I was back in the days. So I was uh, the the chair of the National Youth Council, and obviously, also the question about lowering voting age for for young people uh, to sixteen was was quite a passionate topic. Yeah, uh, back in the days, and you know, honestly. I mean, I know how I voted. I was advocating uh, for three times yes. And I really, really hope that one day I'm still in politics and we can relaunch this debate. And it needs to be a big societal debate, you know. It was quite controversial back in the days. And we need to have a new momentum on it and a a large debate, including all the different civil societies, also the foreigners, the, the national voters. And I really hope to be able to witness that one day and not sure when it will happen because... Obviously, so far, we need to respect the, 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 the outcome of the referendum. But I really hope to, to witness it one day. I, I think to get there, we just need to like take baby steps and get more people involved, whether it's the municipal elections, whether it's uh, maybe even thinking outside the box of creating new fora or reforming the existing fora, like the Conseil National des Étrangers, to have a real weight when it comes to lawmaking and being directly elected which would be a great first step so we could like show also those that are not that happy about giving uh, non-Luxembourgers the right to vote that nothing would essentially change that Luxembourg would be richer by having a bit more color in it and that the electorate is even the non-Luxembourgers are pretty much assimilated nowadays with the Luxembourgish electorate. Well, I, um, I'm smiling to myself here because, Sasha, you've only just begun and you can tell we've got two politicians in the room here. <laughs> well, I think people are more interested, maybe because we yeah. have this unique situation this year that we had both the municipal elections yes. and the national elections in the same year. So yeah. I think people's radars maybe are, are a little bit more tuned. I think also because things are so tough across Europe and we've seen a lot of change in politics across Europe that people perhaps are paying more attention because we've gone through a long stretch of our adult history where we've been lucky. We've had pretty stable politics and now things are changing and things don't feel so safe anymore in the world for all sorts of reasons. And so I think people are turning to politics, to our politicians, to think, you know, we really need strong leadership in order to sustain us through this uh, this uh, very unsettled time ahead. Yeah, I think you could be very right. So anyways, Back we, to the are guide. Talk, we are talking <laughs> about electing 60 politicians. So... Um, 
I don't know, it always takes me by surprise because it's not that many people we're talking about. Um, so, yeah, anyway, so 60 seats up for grabs. And, um, you know, as I said, this is an idiot's guide. And in order to get a majority, you have to have 31 seats. So we currently are in a coalition uh, between the Green Party, the uh, LSRP, which is the Luxembourg Socialist Party, and uh, the DP, the Democratic Party. So um, they they are in the co- coalition now. So this it is very a very interesting moment, I would say, to see what happens next. Uh, the CSV, so the Conservative Party, has the most seats in Parliament. And um, there's, a, there's a lot of um, focus, I would say, on the leader of the CSV party, Luc Frieden, yeah. um, to see what happens. Obviously, they've been out of power for over 10 years now. Um, and, you know, they were in a coalition at that time, 10 years ago. So, you know, that it'll it'll be interesting. It whatever is. happens, I, I I don't want to go in any kind of uh, no, no. Or whatever. I'm just saying we're very neutral. That there, yes, that that there is a, it's coalition politics at the moment. Um, so we have three parties now, and you know maybe we have two, maybe we have three. I don't know. Um, the elections. What, what are, is short is that Luxembourg will not be governed by one, one single yes. party. So for the Brits listening to this, yes. uh, your system sounds as bizarre to us as uh, you <laughs> ours sounds to you. But uh, coalition politics. Politics is also a part of what makes uh, Luxembourg so attractive because it guarantees stability and at the same time consensus building. And I strongly believe that having more consensus in politics and compromise and being able to compromise sometimes is what makes politics in Luxembourg so great. Well, we've definitely had it in Ireland and there's many countries across it. In fact, you mentioned another uh, another election is taking place uh, close to your home, in fact. Yes, so the Polish elections are also taking pl- pl- uh, place in October, so on the 15th of October. And that's that's also uh, making life very interesting, uh, just as a little aside, because suddenly uh, Poland, as one of the biggest supporters of Ukraine, have said they will not supply Ukraine with any more weapons. And this is obviously a, a, actually a domestic issue because they're having a big fight about grain, um, and that is to appease the uh, farmers' party um you know it's the party that's in power in poland at the moment so that but that's a little aside but it's, it's caused a real ruckus this week yeah. um particularly with the un general assembly going on there was basically an open fight <laughs> and, and let's not forget european elections coming up i know we you know i'm president of a party i'm like this year is so busy with organizing local elections and national elections but we all tend to you know push it a bit away that like right after these elections are done we need to think as parties which candidates to put up uh, for the European elections which will be coming up in what is it May or June June, June? nine months from exactly, exactly. nine months exactly. after exactly so European so national. June so basically I mean uh, before the elections is after the elections and uh, it, it's really I mean we're very very busy in this year and it's not just two elections yeah. but basically it's three I'm wondering uh, where the time is to actually do any work between between all of these campaigns because campaigns take time and energy and interviews like this one. (laughs) I know you've all been super busy. No, and absolutely. And huge shout out to our teams of of people working in the backgrounds of these political parties because they are doing an immense job and obviously they are behind the scenes. We as politicians are doing our job in in between of local campaigning, national campaigning, our work in in the parliament. Um, But also the whole... Um, the whole setting which is happening behind the scenes is it's immense and it's huge and I think we don't talk enough about these people who are doing all the background work and yeah. uh, a, a big shout out to them. For and, sure. and in addition to that we should not forget that the parliament is still sitting in Luxembourg so yeah. we still have uh, committee meetings going on some more intense than others we still have uh, sometimes international trips to to be on uh, just to represent Luxembourg to uh, keep the continuity going on and uh, that obviously is an additional charge to running a campaign and uh, I think my wife has seen me for a few minutes a day uh, over the last few weeks and it will not get better until uh, the Some 8th of October. Some people would say that's excellent for marriage. <laughs> <laughs>
Anyway, no. Well, I, I was know. quite impressed. I mean, Xavier Bettel is in, in New York doing yes. a speech on yeah. Friday, uh, today. Uh, so today is Friday yeah. as we're recording it uh, this morning. And I thought, oh, that's, that's, uh, you're not busy campaigning back yeah. home. But I, I've, I've been in Hanoi last week really? for Parliament. Uh, I'll be in Vienna. Uh, on Sunday evening and on Monday for an international conference on space where Luxembourg will hold the presidency next uh, year. So it's so that's uh, not put on hold during the sort of month of campaigning? Well, we can't tell uh, 27 partner nations that, uh, I'm sorry, Luxembourg will not attend uh, a conference where we will hold the presidency next year, just because we have that um, little issue of uh, national elections. They will literally uh, laugh us out of the room. And so on this point, you did mention that uh, Bettel is, um, well, everywhere. He's omnipresent all uh, alongside many other politicians. Um, and I mean, it makes me think of a couple of things. One is you cannot get sick. You cannot get sick. You must just keep going and make sure you take those vitamins. But um, there's been all sorts of announcements as well. And I know there's one that piqued your interest, which was about the infrastructure transport project. Well, again, I find this really interesting because I don't think you could do this uh, in the UK for sure, um, is that uh, this three billion uh, transport project was was announced. Um, and I, I don't I don't quite understand how you can announce a project that's going to take 10 years. I mean, it sounds wonderful. It's going to connect the Luxembourg city with Echelzet with a motorway and a, and a very fast tram line and cycle highway, um, you know, plus lots of other things. Um, but, you know, it's a phenomenal infrastructure project, uh, cost-wise uh, and work-wise. And to announce this before the elections have taken place, I find that amazing. I don't quite understand. Because we don't know who can carry it on. So it seems like something is announced and then whoever will form well, a coalition. We have presented the Plan National de Mobilité, so the PNM, we, as we call it, uh, which gives us basically a guideline like how mobility in Luxembourg should develop in the upcoming, what is it, uh, 12, 13, 14 years. So really the next um, decade where where crucial infrastructure needs to put in, be put in place. Because we all, I mean, all we all of you, all of us are, uh, in are in the traffic jams, see the, the crowded trains, see the uh, parking spots at the borders that are full with cars and people like really pushing to, to get into the trains. And I think that um, ha- being able as politicians to really project into the future and already now anticipate, and it's really about anticipation, anticipate the, the development of human mobility um, connections in a future way, is key of being a responsible politician these days. Because if we look back in, in the coalitions before, they basically missed out a bit on that, on housing as well as on a mobility. And I think it was really time for us as a, a new coalition in the past 10 years to catch up with some crucial delays and put up a plan on, um, you know, like... Um, doing more and anticipating the future developments. And that's what we've done. And obviously, we've talked about this uh, super fast uh, tram tramway to the south for, for already quite some time also in, in Parliament. So I guess for us in, in, let's say, the political bubble, this is not so news. But obviously, this was now a big step uh, where the whole organization of this future works and, and the next developments will take no, place. Nonetheless, just uh, to, to give some context to, because it's really quite different from other countries, uh, it's announcement politics uh, first and foremost, because uh, the tram, as we know it today, has been announced and re-announced uh, for th- three times before elections. And then uh, when there have been changes in the governing coalition, uh, has uh, been rethought and uh, that led to a lot of delays. So one of the big problems with infrastructure is that we tend to announce and then have debates to re-debate something that has already been debated just with a new grain of salt added on top of it. And so um, I'm, I'm very curious to see especially how the parties that will end up in the next coalition, whether it's the same or uh, different parties, will react to to the now announced plan and whether it will be re-debated or not. And in the end, 
uh, all the bills still have to pass parliament, which uh, might have a little thing to say about infrastructure projects as well. Well, I think Sasha and I are probably most impressed by the fact that you can plan something, sort of agree, debate it, agree upon it as, as a parliament. And then, uh, I mean, I think it's a great idea if, if it comes to pass, because then you can have projects which take decades sometimes, which can happen, whereas a politician's life career may not be the same length of time. So you can actually plan for things that are beyond the scope of many politicians' lives. Absolutely. Yeah, no, this is, it's it's new politics for us, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as you say, it's consensus politics, it's coalition yes. politics. So and, it's- and that was how, in the past, uh, also first-past-the-post systems have worked. You had politicians developing visions and then making sure that their successors were able to get on board of those visions. And I think that has been probably the one thing that I miss the most in, in global politics nowadays, is that ability to present a vision and make sure that your successors are on board and, and bring it to life. And that happens through consensus, that also happens through uh, not only following a 24 or even nowadays eight hour news cycle where you tend to have very limited time to present your ideas. Speaking of time, I'm looking at the time right now and I'm thinking I might completely rejig this uh, this hour long conversation because uh, I hadn't kind of factored in the fact that every single point we make will be discussed. <laughs> and on, it's great. On that it's point, um, Sasha came up with a wonderful fun fact uh, that Sven, you have been touted as the most talkative member of Parliament with 187 interventions and you asked 841 questions. <laughs> so there we go. Shall I react to that? No, 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 please don't. <laughs> <Shh>. <laughs> um, but no, Sasha, back to you. I think you have probably a few more points on the uh, the Idiot's Guide to uh, Politics. Well, the other thing that, of course, sticks out is that for a small country like Luxembourg, you've got 12 parties. Yes. So, you know, yes. it's a lot. <laughs> Three of them are brand new. So um, <laughs> I'm sure Sven can talk about, you know, your party's reasonably new, but compared to the really new kids on the block. Oh, we are already celebrating 14 years of existence. This oh, you're year, so, so old. <laughs> yeah. So we, we are soon allowed to drink alcohol in Luxembourg. Oh. Um, I, I think that it shows how open the Luxembourgish um, process is and how it also enables people to bring forward new ideas. Whether they are really new or not, I leave that to the voters to decide upon. But uh, the polling predicts that uh, the three new parties or movements, because one of them refuses to be called a party, um, is certainly not uh, are certainly not making that many waves. So it it shows that the Luxembourg system is open, accepting new parties. But then in the end, voters have to decide uh, whether they are allowed to enter Parliament or not. Speaking of uh, parties and names and things, the Pirate Party, the name. <laughs> Everybody asks me. I that. know they I, do. I think you and already I think asked me that I last did. Time. I, in 20, I did. I did ask you. And I think a little bird has told me, change is afoot. Change is afoot? No. Yes. <laughs> More sweat. Curious. Oh, no. I, I think oh, we're, then we're, I'm sad. <laughs> I, I, I think we still keep the name Pirates. Um, but for, you can never be a leader year. with that name. Oh, is it all, Don't you only call him Captain Swan? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, j- jokes aside, um, if, if you are watching on Netflix the show about uh, the creation of Spotify, you'll see where the name came from. Mm. It came from a time where we were not able to simply go online and buy legally uh, music or movies. So what did humans do? They did what they did best for the last uh, millennia. They shared knowledge mm. around the campfire, well, around the digital campfire. And the media companies um, called us pirates for doing so. And given that we were unhappy with the status quo, we decided that, oh, if they already call us pirates, let's reuse that uh, name and and turn it around in the meaning. And so the Pirate Party was born on the 1st of January 2006 in Sweden. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to admit, I always have the best ideas on the 1st of January. Um, Why is that? Very early in the morning, especially. Mm. 
And um, from that, we went on to create a, a movement across Europe. We are currently sitting in the European Parliament together, by the way, with uh, Greens uh, EFA in the group. And uh, we are represented in three national parliaments. Uh, Iceland, which is the least landlocked country in the world. Um, <laughs> Czech Republic, which is as landlocked as Luxembourg and uh, Luxembourg. So uh, there is a bit more to the name than... Only no, I know. I did. I, I do remember reading about the history. It's just uh, for those who don't bother to read the history, they might think that's not a usual political name. Anyhow, that aside, let's move on. We're slowly crawling our way crawling. through. <laughs> I, I have so many points here and, and we haven't even got to... I might have to jump in and change something. So what I think is very difficult, again, for uh, foreigners to understand is the actual voting um, the fact that you're not voting for one party, there's a there's a or you know you're not voting for one candidate, um, this panachage system. But I'm sure our esteemed colleagues can explain it much better than me. Well, you are able to vote for one party. So basically, you can vote for a list, and then it's like each of the candidates would get one vote. You know, um, but obviously, and that's, as you said, it quite specific to Luxembourg, you have this panachage system where you basically have a total amount of votes, let's say 21, like in, in the central district. And you can basically put 21 crosses wherever you want. So you can vote for individual people. Um, so many of my friends tell me, oh, yeah, but this person, I, I, I know him and he's very engaged in this and this topic. I really want to see him in parliament. So I give him two votes because actually you can not only give one vote to a person, but two is maximum. So you you really have to be able to count. It's, it's quite we, we love to make it complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's quite complicated, actually. I always say, obviously, if you... Um, if, if you really want to support one political party, voting a list is the most efficient. And it seems to be more popular. Mm, de well, it depends. The, the Luxembourgers. It depends on the parties. Yeah. There are parties with a lot more um, list votes than personal votes. Um, and then there are parties that are more personalized. Um, I think it has to do with the program. We both come from parties that have very strong uh, list vote components. So uh, people tend to agree with our general stance on issues. And so they give us all their trust. And then you have politicians that tend to be uh, from more traditional parties that tend to be very visible, that get a lot of personal votes, but the party doesn't necessarily get the vote um, of confidence from the same voters. So it's um, an interesting system. Very difficult to count in the evening mm -hmm. and especially attributing the seeds is a nightmarish endeavor and will be like nail biting probably here at RTL uh, until late in the night to, to know how the seeds will be essentially distributed. Well, I think we're going to come to that, are we? No? Well, it, it was how they, they are distributed yeah. across the country. Yes. Yes. So there are four districts yes. with a, a number of seats in each. So it's divided between centre, north, east and uh, south. Um, so you've got, uh, what is it? 21 in the centre, 7 in the east, 23 in the south and 9 in the north. So, yes, these votes then have to be divided. And what I would want to ask you is, so when, what time do we have an idea? Yeah, that, that's what, what I was thinking what, as well. What, what time, time do we have to stay up until? Yeah, that, that the... <laughs> I guess this time it's getting even more late than it used to be because of the more parties existing. So the whole calculating mode, it gets more and more complicated because we have a system of re um, rest votes. Um, it's quite hard rest, to explain so, it in English. So um, marginal seats. Uh, marginal the, seats. Yeah, I guess that's the word. But um, well, I, I would say... If, Nine, ten-ish, I guess. Oh, that's okay. Uh, you have that's quite sort a clear of indicator if, if like every single commune has been like really until the very end been counted on. It's another question, but I would say like during the evening you, you you first get the list votes, so you have already quite an indication. I remember last time the pirates were like in, like quite early in the afternoon. I I was reading the headline that you had quite a lot of list votes, so I was like, oh oh, they are getting dangerous here. Um, <laughs> but then during the evening you have this little little numbers that can change everything according to the seats. And as you said it, for now we have a thirty-one coalition. And it will stay quite tight, I guess. So the the question is, 
who will be able to form a coalition with each other. And it's a matter of having 30, uh, which is not a majority, 31, 32. And these little, this one seat can make a whole difference of mm -hmm. which coalition will take place. And yeah. obviously that will be uh, the result of quite late in the evening until we're very sure about the numbers. Mm -hmm. And do oh. you start talking straight away, coalition talks? Or do you wait until the next day? Uh, that might depend on, on the results. Um, but first of all, please go vote until two o'clock because... Uh, Luxembourg is different to other countries. We close polling at two o'clock because two we want a.m. Well, two p.m. Two p.m. So okay, we just like need right to after lunch. We need to right after go. Lunch, <laughs> the, the easiest I always tell people: when you wake up with a headache from the hangover from the from Saturday evening, go straight voting. Go home, have your breakfast. And then call your mom and tell her to go vote as well. <laughs> Very good. That's um, so until two o'clock is voting. So we get like the first results. Probably the the first formal results will be the east and the north because they have the least members. Uh, we'll probably get those results around six thirty ish in the evening. So that will give us a trend. But there's also where, postal where parties will already be. Oh, oh, those will be counted quite quickly. So, uh, yeah, we'll have an indication of how many are using postal votes as well. So it's already getting quite exciting here. And we haven't even moved past our first paragraph of our notes, Sasha. <laughs> yes. I keep, and I've got pages of notes to ask you to. I, I, you'll have to come back because I'm just certainly not going to get Always. through it. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, um, back to you, Sasha. Back to me. Um, okay, fun fact uh, that you're the youngest candidate yes. is 18. Yes. And the oldest is 84. So that's and you, quite the age range, isn't it? But you did hold, I think, the the youngest age for Member of Parliament. Oh, we both did. You both did? One after the other. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, well, you were a bit shorter than me, Sven, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, but I... Well, it's because... The Luxembourg Parliament has, like, we had a lot of changes, also because Trina's party is in government. Yeah. So I was the the youngest elected member on the day where we got um, where we got sworn in, and then when the government stood, uh, a few members from Trina's party stayed in government, so she was able to be sworn in as well, and uh, that meant that she became the youngest, and she since lost that title to a party colleague. Of well, which I'm very happy and proud of. So, firstly, maybe that's an important fact as well. Um, in Luxembourg, you're either in the government or in parliament, so it's strictly separated, so you can't be in both like in other countries, so that's uh, that's for sure. Um, yeah, and I had the honour to, well, I was elected at the age of 26, uh, mm. honestly, to a huge surprise. Uh, I, I was not uh, head of a list, so basically I was just running as a, a normal young girl, I would say, and uh, I became sixth on the list of 21, mm. which was huge and, and, and phenomenal. I was really, really proud of myself, but honestly, I was preparing to do some days of holiday, holidays and then get back to work. No time for holiday. Um, well, I, I, I took three days off because I really needed it, but Honestly, I was not prepared to enter parliament two, two months after. So it's basically with the decision of Sam Tanson becoming Minister of Justice um, that I was sworn in into parliament, um, age 26. And I was, I think I was the youngest for three or four years until Jessie Till took over. And I mean, sh she's, a, she's from my party. So I, I, I felt very proud to hand over this important title. And I think... Why is it so important to highlight that again and again? Because we are role models for many, many young people out there who always tell me, oh, but I thought politics is something for, you know, older people and especially older men. And I think to, to be With able... With grey hair. I'm starting <laughs> I, to assume I didn't want to, uh, you know, but, you know, to be able to, to, to show to the world and to all these young women out there, hey, it's possible to be a member of parliament as a young woman. And, you know, obviously it's tough. It's It was hard to to dig into this, this hard topics and, and to learn a lot. But, you know, I'm quite proud after five years to have proven my role and my place and my work. And I want to continue and basically also to encourage others to do the same. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very unusual for us because we're perhaps more mentally aware of the news that we see from Britain and Ireland, many other countries, actually. We, we keep our eye open. I mean, 
you can go across the pond as well, the Atlantic, and see other age groups. You know, we've seen who's led the US for a while. Anyway, so it does seem that a lot of people live a life before going into politics. But here in Luxembourg, there's a lot of youth involved. And particularly, I suppose, with Green Party and everything that's in the other news, uh, a lot of young people, older people too, um, do care a lot about the environment. And of course, it doesn't surprise me that younger people might be part of that movement as well. Um, I feel, Sasha, we should move on to Sorry, yes. Point number two, which is, <laughs> it's still related to this. Um, well, so there's unemployment. All, unemployment, exactly. It, it, it really surprised me when I read this. It's gone up. Yes, it is surprising, isn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, you know, a few weeks before, before the elections and unemployment has ticked up, um, especially because... It, I mean, what the the interesting things I took out of it was that it's particularly under for people under thirty. There yeah. are fewer uh, positions open, and particularly for people who have higher education. Very surprising. Yeah, it's probably not that surprising if you are really digging deeper into the numbers. Um, the question about the people with higher education is a mismatch between skills and open jobs. We are desperately looking for talents in all age groups and in all qualifications. But there are a few qualifications, obviously, that are less in demand at the moment than than others. Uh, we've seen a few companies arriving in Luxembourg, but sadly also a few leaving. So in the balance, it's a question about reskilling those people, giving them the chance, we always talk as politicians of lifelong learning, to give them a chance to, like, really get that qualification they need to get a job. So uh, what skills do we need for Luxembourg then? And I say this actually because this morning on the Not the News quiz, we had a question, what does FOBO mean? Perhaps you might know this, F-O-B-O. Uh, what does FOBO stand for? And we learned, because I didn't know, uh, it was fear of becoming obsolete. I, I saw when well we had a, a round table with um, paper chairman Delano uh, a few weeks <laughs> a few days back um, and uh, one thing I quoted was Goethe who uh, famously said that he was uh, jealous of his dad who could with his basic education last a whole life and already Goethe was complaining that he needed to learn have things learning that to, to learn every. <laughs> 10 to 15 years something new and if we tell that to people nowadays that need to reskill and upskill every three to four years uh, obviously that fear of becoming obsolete is something not only our generation feels but already Goethe felt uh, but, a few but, it's, <laughs> but it's also a matter of our educational system who's yeah. running behind and you know we, we we realize it when we look at the energy transition uh, we desperately are in need of people that have a huge expertise in, in all this energy transition uh, uh, job uh, solar panels, wind energy. I mean, this whole new world that is lying out there and there's such a huge demand and the companies are not finding qualified people because the uh, educational system has missed out on preparing because we are in a delay of, let's say, five to five years roughly um, of qualifying people and making them ready for the job market and anticipate again uh, these developments and I think there we definitely need to have uh, an educational system that is more anticipating future developments because educational system can't stay the same, can't stay the old ones in times of chat GPT and climate crisis and we have to adapt there. So then uh, on this unemployment figure which is a surge of 13% from last August it's, it's really huge and I as you said, the higher education, so that means that the people, I mean, COVID may have been a factor because more people chose to do another degree rather than because COVID was an issue, couldn't get jobs, etc. So I think there were a few more degrees thrown in there, which is great. <laughs> but they seem to be the wrong degrees, as you've pointed out. So what would be, what is a good education system to then channel people into the jobs that uh, we, we don't have filled right now? Because you're suggesting that there are jobs there, uh, but there are 16,000 job seekers in Luxembourg who can't get jobs. So either we upskill them. Uh, we also have uh, almost 20,000 job openings. So you see that mismatch between skills and, and demand. And this really shows that the education system, but also our economy has developed much quicker than the education system could keep up. So what I always tell people, and I'm a 
I'm a university dropout, so I, I should really Are not you? be... I, I didn't finish my master's because politics was way more interesting. And oh, yeah, fun. I was reading about you, Zabrucken, I think. And yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, so, you, you, uh, you, were, you were very, very important in the political sphere back there in university days as well. So you, you're a busy man. I, I would really recommend staying as broad as possible with um, a broad common knowledge and then like having a few aspects of your education where you are trying to specialize. But the best thing is learning on the job. You can't uh, expect doing like a theoretical studies for 10 years and then showing up and be ready to work because you probably have never seen how it really works uh, in, in the, on the job market. So it's also a question about easing people into a, a job life that is uh, way different than what they uh, learn at uni. There are certain jobs where you can't be entirely broad and I'm thinking of the sciences here. You know, you don't want your pharmaceutical uh, <clears throat> Well, you don't want your organic chemists to bring it back to home, in my case. They wouldn't have the time to become broad and everything because you you need them to have an absolute specialisation to know what they're doing. And then the problem is that they are better paid driving buses in Luxembourg City than uh, working as uh, an organic chemist. That is true. Uh, I mean, we can bring it back to the... Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yes, but we can bring it back to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> should have stayed with chemistry. Uh, we can bring it back to the, the whole, I don't know if you're aware, in, in the UK at the moment we have a junior doctor crisis uh, in the sense that junior doctors are paid less than cleaners per hour. Uh, and, you know, the it's a very, very difficult situation there. Anyway, let's move on from this because I'm, I'm seeing the time flipping by. Um, we could talk about cargo lux, uh, but uh, let's do well, it But briefly. I just thought in terms of education, actually, what you're talking about is, of course, the university uh, this week celebrated or last 20 years. Week, 20 years. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I thought that was interesting because, again, it's, it's it, you know, wins awards or it's, it's always labelled as, as a new university. And actually, it's not so new, but it was a very courageous move at the time when it was first um, built. It's older it? than the Pirate Party. <laughs> it was overdue 10 years at the moment of, the, of its creation. Oh, so it was one of those big announcements that took 10 years to happen. Yeah, but, you know, I, I am an alumni of the University of Luxembourg. I did my uh, my bachelor's in uh, European history uh, uh, over there. And obviously it has changed in, in the past years. I, I've done the, the, the bachelor's from 2011 to 2014. And obviously in the past 10 years, again, so many new um, uh, new doctorates were created, new uh, fellowships, new uh, research project. And I think it's amazing to see how it's developing. Obviously, the location has switched with the the amazing side of Belval, which, I mean, I, I don't know if you've walked over there, but mm -hmm. I mean, the library is stunning. The, the rooms are, are amazing. But I also see that there's finally some student life developing because that was really hard in Luxembourg with the Luxembourgish students all living at home because of housing prices, obviously. And then it was quite dispersed the, where, where the students were living. And, you know, there was never like really, a you know, pubs and, and, and you know, this classic student life that develops around a, a university. And I think over the past 10 years, quite a lot has, has, has been developed and I'm really looking forward to see the development of that uh, in, in the next 10 years. Well, three things there. I think, uh, if I can remember three things. Uh, firstly, I think the students I know there still say it's quite difficult yeah. to ha have student life. Secondly, you've touched on housing. We might have to bring that topic up again. <laughs> and I think it's actually something really difficult for the students there. Really? And thirdly, this conversation about the university Brilliant link, Sasha, uh, came back from the, the, the fact that we have unemployment. So I'm wondering if um, there was a thought process, I'm hoping there was, I think there was, about what subjects to really tackle and build on in Luxembourg. You're looking like uh, you're shaking your head almost here, Sven. <laughs> Ten years, 20 years ago when the university was created, it was um, a, imagined as the progression of a, a trade school, essentially. So we had trade schools in Luxembourg before and the university was thought of like bring, sprinkling a bit of academia on top of that and uh, calling it a uni. So really? You think the, it was the, such The university like took a long time to develop into a proper academic institution and it, it succeeded, but it took time. It took... Uh, it's succeeding, perhaps. It's still succeeding. It's mm. uh, currently ranked as one of the best universities. New uh, universities. Under 50 years of age. So that's 
considered new ish probably uh, we oh. can't compete with Stanford with a 180 year history or something like that um, so it's really interesting to see how the university is currently also evolving in its curricula and they are looking into getting more academic more specialized sometimes and really putting out a very impressive research and um, I'm really looking forward now bringing into the Max Planck Institute in, back into the university, which also will enable the university to um, increase its footprint in, uh, in legal sciences, something that uh, didn't happen for a long time. So it's very interesting to see where uh, the winds of change will take the university. Mm, oh, the winds of change. There we go. Political again. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I saw that sustainability is one of their big priorities, uh, apart from medicine and uh, digitalization. Well, oh, finance a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and the other <laughs> thing, of course, of well, course, we are still in Luxembourg. You, know. you can join sustainability and finance. Well, obviously, obviously, and and I think that there's a huge potential lying there. So I'm really, really happy to see that. I think that the university is managing that better than the regular. Uh, high schools in Luxembourg, they anticipate really the future topics of tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. And uh, they they really bring up the, the challenging topics. So I, I really like the developments there, especially on, obviously, on sustainability. Maybe because they are less political. <laughs> maybe. Well, just just yeah, maybe. putting that out there. Oh, maybe. It depends who their board are. But um, you also mentioned that you like the idea of keeping things broad, Sven. And uh, they do also have lots of interdisciplinary sections of the university, which I think personally helps. I could stay on that point longer, but I'm going to uh, go back to the previous point that you touched upon, housing. So let me just put it out there. Housing, it's an issue. I think somebody from your party said we should put the land down to X euros per square meter or something. <laughs> We have very famous posters of uh, requesting 10 euros per square meter. Yes, that's of, what I'm thinking of. Uh, rents, not for the land, not for uh, privately owned uh, um, buying or real estate. Obviously, 10 euros per square meter would be phenomenal, but we are not in Thailand. Yeah. So um, that being said, it's very important that the government is building more. Why did you put that out there? It, because it raises eyebrows and in the end it's uh, to start a debate on what prices we are currently operating you have to admit market. it is quite populistic i mean it's popular the, yes <laughs> i i didn't know it's say um, that. <laughs> your, your your housing minister juna said in parliament that our 10 euros were too high he actually said in parliament that we should put six euros on it because that's the rent they are uh, asking some people to pay currently in uh, state-funded housing. So I, I don't want to go into the details of how we can achieve it. We have put out uh, a lot of communication on that. You can find it on our website. Um, the important thing is, and the government admitted that only this week, the public hand, so municipalities, the public promoters and the government own currently around 600 hectares of land that is already zoned for building. Depending on the density you imagine, you can build between 12,000 and 30,000 units on that land pretty quickly. So in a time frame of five to six years. I wonder why that has not happened. And if I'm here in RTL City, I'm just looking across the street and we see a public promoter only being allowed to build five stories high. And right next to RTL City, on the other, ha on the other side of the road, we see a private promoter being able to build 12 units high. And then we are wondering why we are not getting um, the results we need. So if we want to stabilize housing prices, we will not bring them down. That's, uh, nobody can promise that. But if we want to stabilize them and make it possible for people to actually have access to housing, and that's a human right, we need to be building denser on the land the state already owns. And I think that's my one of the biggest criticisms I address to the current government is that that simply has not happened. Yes, denser on the land that the uh, government owns, which isn't that much land because... Uh, 600 hectares, almost 15% of all the uh, buildable zones for residential areas. 
yeah. has been published this this week uh, after my party colleague... Uh, 15%. 15%. Yeah, which is my point, really, that a lot of buildable land is in the hands of a few people. Yeah, but at the same time, Luxembourg, we always say Luxembourg is only responsible for 0. something percent of uh, global climate emissions. Nonetheless, we are tackling our emissions by by saying even a small drop in the bucket and 15%, that's more than one in 10 drops in the bucket could be addressed by the government. Mm -hmm. So if we are really doing a housing offensive, we could essentially stabilize prices, which would probably also lead to more investment from the private sector. Well, this brings me on to another point, which is population growth. Yes, Sasha. So, uh, yes, yes. we've got new statistics. Sit <laughs> down, have a seat, Sven. That, that requires a seat after that. We have, uh, and I love these statistics because we're now over six hundred and sixty thousand people. Yes, exactly. Um, which is a growth of eighty-one percent since since the eighties, since nineteen eighty-three. I think specifically. I, I have eighty-one here, 81, which is, which is sorry, what sorry, I love yes. is eighty-one percent since eighty-one. Yes. That's what I love. <laughs> so yes, I mean it's it's predicted to keep growing yeah. so i guess housing is just going to increasingly become an issue and, and not less and what yeah. do you think juna on the housing well obviously um that's again one of these topics where we criticize that former uh, governments have have not been anticipating this growth of people and all the the consequences linked to it to according well linked to mobility and obviously to housing so uh, i i think we we really agree on on the matter Sven, that um the 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 public sector needs to um ha- take over some ownership and 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 build more i think the vienna model is something that is cited quite often where the the the, the town of vienna uh, owns quite a lot of uh, of 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 housing and basically they can um they have an impact on the on the prices because they are such a big owner and i think that's where we need to arrive in luxembourg obviously that takes time but uh well we have the the minister for housing for the last 5 years and he has invested now in 2023 uh we are on 300 million euros invested into housing and like when he started in 2018 it was 83 million so i think that we we definitely have put some significant changes there we also changed the law on uh, pact logement 2 um, which basically empowers the the communes to be more active in this because it's not only the state it's also uh, on a local uh, plan where we need to take over responsibility so there has quite a lot of significant changes to be done obviously to see the direct consequences in a, a topic like housing it's really really hard to to you know to see the concrete results and i think we will see it in the upcoming five years but we we have changed the the road basically and the, the way to do it obviously we need to continue in that and there's still so much to be done and i think we're too representative of a young genera- generation where we, we really feel this this burden and the the worries of of our generations according to housing so it needs to stay uh, priority number one for for the for the next uh, government and i really hope they continue in really investing in the in the public uh, housing area i'll be very quick and i admit that the government has changed trajectory since uh, over the last uh, years or decades. Nonetheless, you have to put those 300 million into perspective. Uh, Vienna alone invests 500 million a year into public housing. So the 300 million are um, still a drop in the bucket. We need to mobilize more private yeah, but Vienna is a different as well. Population. And then I don't want to compare Luxembourg to Vienna because we don't have the same housing stock available already. Um, But I want to compare Luxembourg to maybe where we could be would be more like Singapore. Singapore currently, and it's definitely not a communist country uh, to say the least, in Singapore 70% of the residents live in publicly built and mostly owned housing. So they are renters. And uh, I think that currently we have a system that fiscally incentivize owning a house and fiscally disincentivize renting. And that's a big problem. So we need to address that through fiscal reform. We need to give people that are renting the same advantages that people that are buying. Only then can we really have that shift of attitude towards how housing could evolve over the next 20, 30 or 100 years. 
Now, given the time, and given that I haven't touched any of my points that I Although I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation so far. Now, you've got lots of ideas. All of these ideas cost money. And there we come to taxes. And so this is, uh, you know, housing is probably issue number one for, for, I think it's really one of the very top issues. Schooling's another one, but taxes. Climate crisis. Of course, of course, of course. Yes. Absolutely. Peace in the world. Okay, okay, this is not... Okay, yes, all It's very this, hard to put a rank this. in there, right? Right, okay, yes. And we haven't got onto the UN Sustainable Development Goals and all of this. Right, let's just bring it back to taxes. Are we trying to avoid the issue here? I feel something... Anyway, how are we going to pay for all of this? All of the mobility, all of the... You know, what are your ideas on taxes? Just briefly outline uh, in a very kind of like, let's go back to the Idiot's Guide. What are your tax ideas? Well, we need a tax reform because we, we, we see at the moment that um, we start the taxation quite early. So people who would I, I would consider in the in among the, the poorer or, or less uh, owning people are already starting to pay their taxes quite early. And I think there we, we have inequalities in Luxembourg and we need to tackle poverty. Um, so I think tax system adapting there is it's quite crucial. And on the other side, obviously, we have also quite wealthy people in Luxembourg. So we also find a new, need to find a new balance in, um, in, 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 in finding, it's I would say, a paradigm shift of, at the moment, we are taxing um, uh, uh, labor quite highly, but capital, it's being taxed less. And I think there a lot of inequalities, especially inherited inequalities, are, you know, are, are going further and further. And I think we need to find an, a new system where, where this component is being changed. Um, in general, um, I'm in favor, you know, I'm as a green person to have a system of pollueur payeur. So those who um, who are harming the environment, who are, um, are let's say, let's take the, the gas oil um, uh, tax. So those who are um, taking um, fuels that, that we know are, are not aren't good for the climate, for the environment, uh, should be taxed more. And those who have uh, who, who use friendly and um, energy uh, sources Uh, solar energy should be uh, should be um, uh, funded by the government, uh, or for example, e-mobility uh, has to be supported more. So I think via this tax system we can incentivize the, the the cleaner technologies, but also make those pay who are harming our environment and our climate. And I think as a green person, this um, change of mentality of um, not forbidding something, but making people. Uh, aware that this is not a climate-friendly alternative is is a way to go, and it's pushing the people into the right direction without forbidding something. And I think that's a way that we have adapted in in Luxembourg in in a general matter, and uh, we should we should continue this way. So just to recap, in fact, it's interesting because I, I interviewed Franz Fayot yesterday, and he mentioned similar to start taxes a little bit later and yeah. to to think about the assets that a person has yeah. uh, so I think we are I mean quite similar with our socialist partners on, on in this thinking in a general way I'm not yeah. going getting into details no, of no, numbers no. It's but just he mentioned yeah. uh, not inheritance tax but a wealth tax mm -hmm. and so it sounds yeah. like that th those yeah, ideas exactly. are Sven what are your ideas on how to pay for things <laughs> taxes <laughs> in other words First of all, uh, we agree on the general approach that we need to incentivize the right thing and uh, to not penalize, but disincentivize exactly. the, the, the wrong behavior in the sense that, and I don't want to get into an, an ethical argument, but we nowadays know what costs uh, the, common, the current generation, but also the, the next generations have to pay for certain behaviors. So uh, we are in favor of a climate bonus, which uh, has been proposed by the Klimat Bierjarut, which was a, a city, uh, was a, a citizen council uh, that came up with a, a few innovative ideas uh, based on uh, recommendations that they proposed. I think that it's really important that our tax system becomes fairer. Currently, uh, we still link taxation to the um, 
Income. Uh, no, not even directly to income. It's linked to income, but it's also linked to whether you're married or not. Oh, whether yes. your partner yeah. is alive or is deceased. And so the problem Children. is we have inequalities simply due to your civil state. Mm -hmm. And I believe that a fair tax system can't make a distinction between somebody who is single, or at least tax-wise single, in a civil union, or married. That makes no sense in this century. And by the so way, how our tax long system will it comes take? from 1933. So that was just before the Nazis took over in Germany, which uh, shows you how old and in which mentality the tax system currently has been written. And I think the factor that needs to be uh, taken into account is if you have children or not, because yeah. I think that that's that's a crucial way where you can have an indicator that we know we want to tackle child poverty. So I think there we have we really have to adjust. But I totally agree with Swan and I think it's the government's position also that we need to go into that direction. Sadly, it hasn't happened over the last 10 years, despite being promised uh, for yeah, the last why? two elections. That's what we're wondering on the outside when we read about this because we think yeah we agree I know how can you calculate because I know the government says but we need to do this slowly and transition that's the word they use all the time so why hasn't it happened I'm not in the government no so I that's can, why I'm asking I you because <laughs> you might give me an honest answer my, my, my point of view is that they couldn't agree on how to do it and that a few members of the current government especially the liberals didn't want to do it in the sense that they thought that um, income-wise Luxembourg was not in a position to do it, but they preferred to like give out general gifts of uh, tax gifts, essentially, by uh, proposing tax breaks for everybody without really thinking about um, uh, social selectivity. And that's probably the reason why, in the end, we didn't get a, a proper tax reform. Uh, nonetheless, this is probably one of the most urgent things, mm. especially that we also get away from the, the gross income which we are currently taxing, but more to the disposable income. If you are a renter, you are already disadvantaged by having to pay somebody else for your housing mm -hmm. who is building wealth on top of that. Whereas if you are the landowner, well, then obviously you are benefiting from the current tax system. And that also is not fair. We should not tax the have-nots more than the haves. And in that sense, I believe that a fair tax system needs to take into account every source of income, independently on how it is uh, being generated. And then also we should, as I mentioned, ignore whether you're married, uh, single, or something in between, because all of that has a huge impact on Married, the disposable or something income. in between. <laughs> well, we have the civil union. Oh, you, can, yeah. you can live together but still be considered single. Yeah, so yeah. The, the problem is we, our tax system is very binary mm. in its approach to taxation. And people of, are not. And people As we know. tend to be very messy when it comes to relationships. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> so in the end, it's uh, that, that shows that we definitely need to have a tax system that is on par with how people currently live. And what do you think about assets then and taxing? Because that seems to be something that's becoming more and more uh, vocalised by politicians. The Pirate Party has uh, a strong position that we don't want to have a wealth tax. Um, we also want to abolish a hidden um, inheritance tax that is currently still existing. Hidden? Hidden, because most people are being surprised by it. And it's a surprise tax because... We don't have an inheritance tax uh, in direct line. So if you inherit something from your dad, well, you should not be taxed on that. We, Most people in Luxembourg, and I think a huge majority, agrees on that. The problem is, now if it's a house you are inheriting, the moment you sell it, you are being taxed on the plus-value. So on the, the uh, on the on the capital gains of, of that transaction. Whereas if your dad would have sold the house before his demise, he would not be taxed on it because it was his primary residence. And inheriting money is not being taxed under the inheritance. Mm -hmm. so, so, so it's a hidden and especially surprise tax that is mostly, again, targeted towards the have-nots, those that still pay a mortgage or are still renters, so need to sell the house of, 
from the inheritance to pay for something else, those need to pay the capital gains tax, whereas those who don't need to sell the house and simply can rent it out are, are literally free of any inheritance tax. So again, our tax system is unfair, benefits the haves, those that already are multiple property owners, whereas those who need to sell it to pay the bills are being taxed which is, in my opinion, unfair. Well, you know, we could even have an hour on inheritance tax here. Uh, we have about a minute left. I'm going to give that to you, Juna, because uh, uh, you've had a little moment in the spotlight there. Juna, how would you like to send our listeners on their way to think about you and the Green Party? You can talk about anything you like. Okay, One well, minute. That, uh, don't uh, thir- that twice to a politician. 30, 30 uh, seconds, 30 <laughs> seconds, go. Um, well, the Green Party has been in, in government for the past 10 years, and I think we really have changed this country. Obviously, we can't get stuck here. So I really want people to to know that in terms of cl- climate crisis, in terms of energy transition, in terms of mobility shift, we have done uh, an important paradigm change. And if you we want to continue that, if you don't want to go back or stagnate at this level, we have to continue to vote the Greens because that's why we need to be in power to continue the good changes there and be ambitious and be, be ambitious about the future of our children. And that's uh, why uh, I think the Greens stand for. Excellent. And with that, I wish all of our listeners and viewers a very, very happy weekend and keep watching for all of these political interviews. Sasha, thank you so much. We'll have to come back with more information later. Bye. Thank you. Bye. RTL Original Podcast.